Welcome to Attached, a platform for adding breadth and depth to everyday living. I'm Yaakov Danishevsky, and this is the conversation series focused on my book. In each episode, I invite a special guest to discuss the topic of a particular chapter and how it relates to our lives. Welcome to another Conversations episode. I'm here today with uh, Mrs. Levine, who I met at the last uh, somatic experiencing training that I did. She was one of the assistant uh, trainers with us and uh, we connected pretty quickly and I was really, really impressed uh, and taken by her wisdom and, uh, and skill. Uh, she is someone who was in education for many, many years, was the principal of Base Malka, I believe it's called, which was a girls school, high school, I think elementary school, high school, high in, school. Uh, in Muncie, uh, primarily for Belzer Hasidim and others as well, and began to see the need for incorporating more uh, emotional uh, and, uh, and overall health into our community and began to study some what's called somatic experiencing and is now working more primarily in the mental health field at Achieve. And uh, we're going to be discussing chapter four of the book. Thank you so much for making time to have this conversation with me. Absolutely. This is important. So chapter four, to briefly summarize, focuses on the idea that in our culture, for a variety of reasons, whether it's the modern Western culture or in many ways, our Jewish culture, have both influenced us in so many ways to be a little bit limited in the way that we relate to ourselves in the world and to see ourselves in the world kind of specifically through a narrow lens of our rational, the rational parts of our brains and to not necessarily pay as much attention or appreciate all the wisdom that our bodies have for us. I, I'm particularly excited for this conversation because I think for a lot of people when they talk about this, the wisdom of the body, they kind of conflate that with the wisdom of emotions. And emotions are a very important source of wisdom for us, but there's actually something specific that we mean, at least within the world of somatic experiencing, we, we refer to the body in a very specific way that we actually mean something even separate from emotions. Uh, so can you explain a little bit of what, of what that means and what somatic experiencing is and what it means, how you came to this and what the body's wisdom means to you in any way you'd like to start? Right. I'm going to start at the point that you mentioned that there is a difference between emotions and actually the wisdom of the body. And we're going to take it into the parts of us that are creative and the parts of us that are not. Emotions to some degree have creativity in them because they incorporate language. Whereas what we really feel, what we sense, transcends language. For example, take the traditional butterflies in the stomach. If I'm looking forward to something, those butterflies are anticipation. If I'm worried about something, those butterflies are anxiety. So it's my creative brain that's interpreting the sensation as a particular emotion when really I am just intuitively aware there is something going on for me and it is affecting me. And when we can take the time to be with what's actually happening within ourselves without trying to label it, judge it, or compartmentalize it based on previous experiences, we kind of get to learn things about ourselves that we hadn't known before. So there's a, there's a layer of something happening in the body even before the emotional, the emotional response. Absolutely. Hashem gave us a primary commandment, the very first mitzvah that we have that transcends all others. We guard our lives. 
but at the same time he put in this foolproof defense system and the the most powerful part of our brain is that defense system which will react before we even aware that there's danger our foot hit the brake like you wrote in your book before we even know that there was something in our peripheral vision warning us that danger is ahead of us our hand jumped away from the knife cutting and we look oh my gosh did i cut myself we don't even know if we cut ourselves but our hands flew away already so that defense system is ingrained is instinctive it's it's just the way our program was designed by hashem and we are primed for flight or fight or freeze and we navigate between those three states to make sure that we could ride through our day in a calm present successful way we don't even realize how many times we almost trip or almost fumble or stumble or drop something because we just catch ourselves so can you elaborate a little bit i'm sorry we about to we about to say something further i was just yeah, going to continue so that when we when we are able to kind of listen in to what's happening inside us instead of distracting ourselves with a story or with an emotion that we think we're feeling and if we can just stop and listen to those butterflies and maybe hear what they're saying or doing or give them a chance to flutter their way through into a calmer place so that our, we can decide subconsciously even am i okay am i not okay we would be able to be more present in our own lives in a more regulated um self-embodied way so I kept using this term somatic experiencing that I know you and I are both familiar with. Uh, but can you, for people who are not, can you talk a little bit about what that is, what somatic experiencing is, and maybe how you, how you came to it and how you use it now? Sure. Somatic is actually an unfamiliar word to many, but it's actually one half of our nervous system. Our brain and our spine comprise the nervous system the brain and the spine are the central nervous system which is what everybody knows about but then there's the whole peripheral nervous system which is all the nerves in our body if you think about um the computer right there is the there is the the actual monitor right there's the hardware right there but how does information get programmed into the computer how does the computer have the information you know where the internet is down how how able are you to access anything and that's where the nervous system the peripheral nervous system comes into play it has all the input and all the output that peripheral nervous system is divided into two the autonomic nervous system which is everything automatic part of that primary defense system i spoke about earlier like we don't control our breathing, our digestion, our respiration, our procreation. You can't make your hair grow or your nails grow as much as you try. And the other half of the peripheral nervous system is the somatic nervous system, which is also automatic to a large degree, but we do have influence over it. For example, I cannot monitor my breathing 24 hours a day. I can barely remember to do things that I know are on my to-do list. And yet somehow my body breathes every moment. I could, however, hold my breath because I do have input. So the somatic nervous system basically is built upon our five senses and our movements. And an easy way to remember it is the somatic. So the so is for the senses. You have the S there. And the M of math, somatic, is for the movements. 
together within these two powers, these two tremendous gifts, is how the peripheral nervous system operates in a way that we could actually have some input, some control, some way of achieving regulation at times when we feel like we're lost. So that's somatic. And so now can you tell us a little bit what somatic experiencing is? Yes. So now that we understand what the somatic nervous system is all about, somatic experiencing gives you the tools, the knowledge, and the awareness of how to work within that somatic nervous system. Because think about it. If you want to really know something, where do you jump in? The middle of the story, the end of the story, or do you want to start at the beginning? So if you're going to go by what your brain is telling you, your brain is kind of the middle of the story. How did your brain get that information? It was taken in through your somatic nervous system, through your five senses and through your movements. So if we really want to know what's true, what's actual, we go to the beginning of the story and we check in with what are the sensations? What does our eyes, our ears, our nose, our mouth, our skin, our touch, our ability to feel and not emotion, but a real concrete feeling, whether it's external where you feel the cold or the heat or internal where you feel the heartbeat or the shudders or the tightness or the looseness. Being able to listen and understand the language that is really our first language. It's the language we were literally born with will help us be really in tune to what we're feeling and what we're experiencing so we can respond in the most appropriate way or not even have to respond because our body's got this. Our heart's beating, our body's breathing, our ears are working. We don't have to do anything to make that happen. Okay, so I've been at this point to... Uh, I, I'm about, let's say, a little more than halfway through the somatic experiencing training. So I've been to kind of, I guess, five modules at this point and, and done a whole bunch of self-education on it. I have never heard anyone articulate it the way you just put it of when you want to understand something, you don't want to start at the end of the story and you don't want to start at the, in the middle of the story. You want to start in the beginning of the story. And the way that our system as a whole works is first our our somatic parts of us, what they call neuroception, right? Uh, the somatic parts of us, our body, and as you said, literally the body, the bodily sensations, that is the very first at part, that's the first part of the story. That's the first response we experience. Our emotional experience is the, is the middle of the story. It's the second layer of response. And then our story story, our thinking and the, the language, that's the third, that's the end part of the story. So if we want to understand anything that has happened to us, anything that we've been through, and we want to start to try and maybe rewrite a story about ourselves, and I'd like to ask you to elaborate maybe on that piece a little bit more. If we want to start to renegotiate or rewrite or recreate a story, we have to go back to the beginning. And that's literally the physical body response to whatever has gone on in our lives. Exactly. We figure out how did that information first enter into us. And if we can join that beginning point, we can recognize what got connected to what? What got stuck with what? When I heard that loud bang, did it remind me of a car accident from 10 years ago? And so, of course, I'm shaking like a leaf. But if I can just track it to that original sound or sight or sensation, 
to that original somatic experience, I can have clarity and my body could adjust to that and recognize the safety that is actually in the now. So I'm curious how, if I have your, your background and your bio uh, relatively accurate as the principal of a girl's school, a Hasidish girl's school in Muncie, how did you get to this? How did you get from there to this? So because, because we know so clearly that Hashem makes no mistakes, I knew that it can just be that there was a flaw in the design of teenagers that they have, they can't regulate that they all need medication, that they are impulsive, that they are disrespectful. Something more had to be there. And the answer is not medicating everybody, although there's a time and a place for that. And the answer is not beating them into submission or confining them into submission until they lose their spark and the personality. I knew there had to be something else going on. And so I took course after course and joined every workshop I possibly could on how to work with teens. And that's where I learned about somatic experiencing. I first heard about it from Dr. Reggie Melrose. She wrote a book called The 60 Second Fix. And when I read that book, I was very intrigued because it gives you 60 seconds in which you literally transform. With that 60 second fix, you kind of shut the amygdala that's blaring danger, danger in the brain. And it kind of brings you to ground, brings you into the present moment where you can just be who you really are because you are in the now and not in the past trauma or in the fear of the future. When I learned that technique and I brought it into the high school, I was able to see such instant results. Girls who were hyperventilating before tests suddenly were able to sit down and recall what's going on. Girls who were having panic attacks or girls who were being sent out of class because they were uncontrollable, literally, it took 60 seconds and you were able to talk to them like they were adults, which they really are. And here's the secret. They all had perfectly valid reasons for being and doing as they were. And they finally, with the somatic information that they received, they were able to access what was going on for them. Wow. So how do you, how do you bring this into a school? What does that look like? What do you, and, and I don't know if it's really a 60 second thing. Could you maybe share a little bit of what that actually, what that goes like? Absolutely. It's the same thing as somatic experiencing. The first thing we do is we invite you to notice support that you have. And the basic support that everybody has is that ground is right there. Your eyes are seeing it. You're looking around the room. Everything has landed. And when you can put your feet on that ground and feel that solid support, you literally land from whatever fear or flight of fancy your brain took you on. And at that opposite end of the brain is the feet, right? So you're really going to the beginning of the story. <laughs> and as those nerve endings right there, by your heels and your toes, which not so coincidentally is called your souls. <laughs> so when that soul feels support, the message going up through the nervous system is safe, safe, secure. And then it meets maybe the nerve endings in your thighs and in your bottom, which is being cradled by the cushions of that chair. And that message is reinforced. Hey, yeah, we too noticed that. And the, med, the nerve 
the nervous traveling so quickly, the message goes, but your back says, yeah, I've got backing too. And suddenly the message the brain got is, yeah, maybe there's a teacher in front of the room and maybe there's a test on the teacher's desk and maybe there's a stern look in the teacher's eye, but I am safe. I don't have to love what's happening. I am safe. I've got support by the floor at the feet, at my feet. I've got support from the cushioning at my seat from that chair. I've got backing for my back. And you know what else I've got? I've got breath coming. It comes right in through my nose. It literally gives me a lift. And then it flushes away whatever was disturbing me as it goes. Every time so naturally and automatically, if you just pay that moment's attention, you can feel, literally feel, the lift you get as breath comes in through your nose, moves through you, flushing out the garbage as it goes. And that's science. We breathe in mostly oxygen. Oxygen feeds every cell in our body. We exhale carbon dioxide. Now, with our eyes, we can't see the difference. We would have no way or power of doing this on our own. But Hashem programmed the computer this way, and that's the way the computer works. And when we could notice the support we have and notice that natural rhythm of life, we find our rhythm. We find our center. We feel the security of just being in our own skin right here, right now. And we can say, I'm alive. I'm okay. I feel it. How do you bring that into a school setting? What does that look like? I literally taught them the process. I stood in front of the classroom and had the girls experience with me. I said, take one foot out of your shoe as your feet are on the floor. Same floor, same feet, two different experiences. Feel that floor under your feet. Notice which foot feels cooler, which foot feels warmer. Notice which foot feels tighter, which foot feels looser, right? And just feel that support. I noticed you can handle two different feelings. It's not a problem. It's not confusing or overwhelming. You can even handle a third feeling of that chair by you. Just feel it, right? Maybe it's a little hard in school, those chairs. <laughs> but you can feel that support. You're not holding yourself. And when you have that awareness that I don't have to hold, I could literally lean back, let go let ground, let gut, and let gut, let that system, that gut instinct he put into us, let it do the work for me so that I can actually be a human being instead of a human doing. We run through life like we're on a down escalator. We got to keep step, step, stepping so we don't fall somewhere. Maybe we're not on an escalator. Maybe we're just on solid ground Hashem placed that solid ground there for us. So we should always know he's holding us and he's holding us. It's very, very moving. It's really, uh, even just listening to it is very grounding, very regulating. So why do, why do you think, I guess, from a somatic perspective that so many people seem to experience so what seems like so much dysregulation 
You know what? We are praised as a people of the of the brain. Like we know so much, we learn, right? Children, um, young Jewish children, by the age of one, they're doing 10, 50 mitzvahs already. They're saying amen. They're playing Shema. They're copying mommy at the Shabbos left. We learn so much. We know so much. It's almost inconceivable not to trust what the brain is saying. We miss the part of when we say Shema Yisrael, we're not saying, um, what is the Taich of Shema? It's an involuntary action here. We're not even asked to listen. It's just that automatic being and allowing the sound, the, the, the existence to be in our consciousness. And that's just taking that moment and just literally even hearing your own breath. And you're not listening. You can't help but hear. And if you take the Shema further, we're talking about the Ahafta Eis. We're, not, we're talking about loving Hashem. We're not talking about um, uh, serving Him or, 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 or um, committing to Him or trusting Him or believing in Him. We're just loving Him, right? That's the heart. That's, I guess love is the emotion, but then again, how do we love Him? How do we experience that emotion? Because those are all the things we prize about ourselves. No. Right? With my being, with my death, with just what I have within me. I have my eyes, my ears, my nose, my mouth, my senses, and my movement, my ability to do something. And when we remember that it's meant to be that simple, it's not meant to be that complicating or complicated. You know, we're all ready to die, Al-Kiddush Hashem, but that's the easy part. Just living in the moment, Al-Kiddush Hashem recognizing Hashem sent me the breath. He sent me the heartbeat. He pretty much took care of me. So let me just be with those two concrete bits of information in my awareness. And then my experience is different. So I know that I'm already bought into all of this. So I'm moved by it. I believe it. I'm soaking in every word you're saying. I'm imagining someone who's, you know, let's say unfamiliar with some of this, or maybe even a little bit more skeptical and thinking about that person's reaction and, and them potentially wondering, well, hold on a second. Isn't our rational brain so important and there's a reason it's so emphasized. And so how does that fit into all of this? Well, the rational brain is important. And we must use that rational brain every moment of the day. However, if we are not grounded and in the now, we don't have access to our rational brain. Most of the time we're operating in a defensive mode. When we should be operating from a proactive mode. Where these are my choices before me, right? What's our primary mission on earth? 
we should be making choices for life, right? If you look at the word life, the two middle letters are if. It's the point of our having choices. And how could we make choices if we're governed by fear of what might be or what already was? Right now in this moment, notice the air coming in through your nose. This is a new moment, fresh breath, fresh opportunity. You've never lifted before. So you've got to use new information for it. So if you can be grounded and in this moment and notice what you're feeling and how you're being, you have your body's defense system turning off, which gives you access to your rational brain. And only then could you really use the part of your brain known as the neo, the prefrontal neocortex, which has the ability of where I can judge based on understanding, well, this might come out of this and this might come out of this and which one is the one that suits me in the moment. So we'll be able to use the rational brain in a, with far more capacity and clarity when we are in the moment in our body in a grounded and regulated way that we're safe. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> in the book, the chapter we're discussing, so I take this in the context of the book to talk about how we can actually access Hashem and Hashem's presence, God's presence, through this wisdom of the body and through this sensory experiences of the body. And in the book, I formulated in my particular way. I'm curious if that's something that you relate to. It doesn't have to be in the way that I formulated it, but that in, in something you relate to and how you how you uh, kind of maybe take this somatic experiencing idea that was formulated primarily for, for psychotherapy uh, and, and how that becomes something spiritual uh, and something Jewish for you. Actually, you formulated it so beautifully in the book. And that is the absolute truth. And even the world of psychology and the world that believes in nothing already believes that there must be something behind or beyond everything. There's, I think, Heisenberg's principle of everything that says that even though science can tell you what a cell will do in its lifetime, it can never tell you what makes that cell come to life or what makes that cell end its life. We know what happens while it is in existence. Even in psychology, they believe in today's date, in today's section of psychology, in the, in the way studies have evolved, that there has to be belief in order for there to be life. It, it has to be meaningful. It has to add up to something. There has to be a point. There has to be, there has to be a power greater than ourselves that governs us or that powers us, that fuels us. And when we can understand that and believe in that, it's the source of all hope. And it's the source of really connecting to yourself. If you believe you're part of a mission, if you believe you're part of a greater plan, you're not just some random puzzle piece scattered, you know, on the floor of Procter & Gamble because 
they are doing so much that one piece just got left over. But if you can realize how you fit into the bigger picture and how that puzzle of, even though it's a 5,000 piece puzzle and there are 4,999 pieces, you're the missing piece. You have to be there. And you were created just the way you are because the shape of you completes the puzzle. Hearing you talk about the autonomic nervous system before and how much is going on in our body without us even being aware of it reminded me of, there's a, there's a book I once read, I believe the author's name was Anthony Flew. And the book is called, There Is No God, but the word no is crossed out on the cover. Because this individual was apparently one of the most uh, well-known outspoken atheists that there were. And he was a scientist. And as science progressed and became aware of how it really developed an even further awareness of how complex everything that exists in the world is and the improbability. And that was, this is the specific point, the improbability of the system of the universe from a physics and scientific standpoint, the improbability of it actually working as well as it is working, the improbability of that changed this individual's beliefs entirely because of realizing how much is in the background that we don't even realize is going on that that is necessary for any of this whole thing to be here and to be working in the way it is. And he talks about it on a macro level, like on a universal like physics level. And you know, on on a level that I, I can't understand the, the details to which that he's that he's reflecting on. But hearing you talk about the autonomic nervous system, even just within ourselves, and it's almost like Adam who Olam Katan, each person's a miniature world, how much, and this is not the angle that I talk about it from in the book, and I think this is another angle that, that is really hitting me just in this conversation, is how much is happening inside of us automatically all the time that we don't even realize the improbability of it all to be happening the way it's happening for us to be functioning. Yeah. When you slow down and pay attention to that, that, that itself is also uh, a, a way of almost just falling into Hashem's arms, falling into this place of, of, of being amazed and, and, and awed by, by what's taking place behind the scenes in a way that's so beyond our human choices, just within you. ourselves. I heard such a beautiful, simple word from a girl who graduated from Rina Seminary in Eritrostral. She was telling me what she learned in seminary and she encapsulated in this. She says, there is no co-incidence. There is only co-incidence. Yeah. So I know that one of the things that you're very passionate about is bringing this beyond the therapy room and bringing it into the, the firm community in a communal way. You spoke a little bit about how you did that in the school that you were the principal of. Curious to hear other ways that you have brought it into the community and maybe ways that other people can try and, you know, we can try and light some fires to, to have other people trying to, to bring this into our communities. So, of course, we use somatic experiencing when we do trauma work, because that is one of the one of the excellent treatments for working with trauma. But above all than that, we are a nation of Masaiba what gets passed down, right? 
And so if we can intervene at any point at the parental level, we change a history of trauma to the real Messiah, a Messiah that is hopeful, that is positive, that is celebratory, because we are a joyous nation. We have beliefs. And if we could if we could have mothers be able to work on their somatic nervous system or just be able to be present in the moment, recognize what they're feeling, teach their children to notice what they're feeling, to be more self-attuned. The more attunement there is to self, the more, the more attunement there is to the neshama. Then we are raising a different generation of children. You know, you treat a person, you're treating just that person. You treat a mother, you're treating her 10 children, her siblings, and her parents. Because <laughs> light spreads in every direction. So what? I'm curious, what are some ways that you bring, do you do like parent trainings and yes. things of that nature? So I Is that somatic one of school yeah. training for parents. Mm -hmm. I'll do groups as much as possible. I'll speak to anybody who's willing to listen. I've done teacher trainings because if a teacher who's who has 30 students at one time, and if she can just change something about herself, everybody's having a different experience. And we all know that we learn somatically. We learn what we live, not what we're told. We do as we experience. And so the teacher is giving the students a different experience. And if the mother is giving and the father is giving the home a different experience, everybody's having a different experience. So for anyone who's a, a parent listening, and this is a selfish question, because I want to hear the answer to this question as a parent who's listening, what is, is there, is there one thing you can maybe offer just as a, as an example of something that you would, that you would teach a parent uh, to be able to do in their, in their role as a parent? I guess I would tell them the one thing, the place you begin with is noticing support. Theoretically, we all know Hashem is with us every moment. But when we feel that solid ground under our feet, when we see it with our own eyes, as clearly as I see you now and you see me now, we're just aware that we are safe, that we are secure, and that we can and we are. So just noticing support in the moment, right now in this moment, I am not alone. I have support. Where do I feel it? And that is enough to bring us into a different place from where we began. You know, we don't notice the things that are automatic. Um, you and I are not wearing glasses, but people who wear glasses all the time, they don't even feel their glasses. You know, think about the garments you're wearing right now. How much of it do you feel? Unless something bothers us, we don't feel it. Right. So we take the 5% that bothers us and make that our whole focus. And we forget about the 95% of us that's just fine. And there is never, and I, they say never say never, but I am saying it now. There is never a moment in time where every cell of you is in distress. There's at least one eyelash that's fine. And I invite you to notice support. Notice that one iota millimeter cell of space 
that's okay. Let that be your anchor. And from that space of okayness, you've got it. It's such a positive and kind of refreshing way of, of, of approaching distress, right? Instead of kind of ways of working through the distress, it's, it's not, it's not really avoidant, but it's, it's just kind of shifting the focus into all the ways that I'm, that I'm supported to be able to, to feel that support, even when I'm present to whatever's going on. So meaning let's say everything you just said, and let's say I'm at my Shabbos Suda Friday night and I have a whole bunch of kids and I have company and my kids are screaming and fighting over who's sitting where and this one got more grape juice than the other one and I'm trying to deal with that while also trying to be uh, engaging and hospitable to whoever I'm hosting and you know and also you know concerned that you know my wife wants me to be helping with you know bringing out the food whatever I'm you know making up a scenario that of course only happens to my friends and not to me but so in that moment right so so what you're saying is that to be able to just simply notice the ground under my feet and the ways that I have a that I can find something within myself that feels regulated and from there to be able to to re-engage what's going on around me even if you just notice that ground under your feet, let's keep it as simple as possible, or your hands on that table, or your elbows on the chair, if you can just notice one thing that's real that you feel, that's enough. Mm. It changes the dynamic. So last area that I'll, I'll ask you to, to speak about, if that's okay, is how this is used uh, in the clinical context in, in psychotherapy. And obviously, there's so many ways it can be used. You can, you know, pick any example you'd like of whatever type of, uh, type of situation you're, you, you can kind of give us as an example of how this is used. That was so interesting, because as you were talking, you reminded me, on Tuesday, I was doing a group for parents, a somatic skills group. And one of the mothers there was telling us how she had such a hard morning because it was very hectic and she kind of lost it and she was beating herself up. She, and, and the words that came out of her mouth was, I hadn't done this in so long. And if I could do it today, does that mean that I just fooled myself into believing I was different? And she's going on and I watched everybody nodding along with her. And I said, stop, let's rewind the tape. Can you tell me the first thing you said in your beating yourself up? And she had no clue what she had said. And I reminded her, I hadn't done this in so long. And I wanted to know how long that so long was. And it was several weeks. And I said, I'm curious, in all those several weeks, let's say it's 21 days of not losing it in the morning, did you say, Good job, honey. You really had it together today. Or wow, things were really wild around you and you stayed grounded and centered. Day one, check plus. Day two, check plus. You know, I get my 21 day chip today. <laughs> and the, the entire group was in stitches laughing because it made so much sense and yet it had never crossed their mind. 
we really do need to notice what we do right as much as what we could do righter. You know, we always talk about connection to self. We don't realize that it's not a coincidence that the I and the I are homophones. I am what I see myself as, my perspective. So when you want to know your I, you have to make sure that you see with two C's in particular, compassion and curiosity. Compassion that opens space for being human, for being a work in progress, for being today one day older or one day wiser than yesterday. And thank goodness, Baruch Hashem, you're still making mistakes because that gives you a reason to live another day. The moment we are, we can't make mistakes anymore, our duty's done here, we're gone. So we need to see with compassion and with curiosity. So what can I learn from this? So what was new about this? So what's different? Or what can I do different? Or what could I notice that I haven't noticed before? Just that curiosity. I'm really just so taken by how how positively oriented it, this whole approach is. It's just very, very, very refreshing. Thank you. It's something I feel very passionately about. Um, I was blessed to have parents who had this positivity in them. I was blessed to have teachers and mentors who were positive. And so I can say my gave me this grounding. And like I said, if we work with the parents and with the teachers, the role models of the generation, and it doesn't have to be a rub, it could be just a mother, a teacher, an older sister. We transmit that. That's what we spread. Is there a part of this also that includes focusing in on the distress feeling or the dysregulated feeling? Oh, absolutely. That's the whole point of listening to sensation, but first being grounded. Because if I have that anchor, that one solid, okay space to hold on to, to operate from, to navigate from, I could then notice whatever is happening and just give it time. I can be with it. I don't have to fix it. I don't have to change it. I can allow myself to feel it. In somatic experiencing, we learn that very often things happen that our body responds to. But very, very many times it's just a perceived danger. So our body creates this first step of adrenaline, like I'm gonna, but then I don't have to. So that plan for action stays stuck in our system. And it's what keeps pushing us to kind of do something. And it's almost like we keep recreating the scenario of danger so we can have an opportunity to use that plan. Much in the same way we can't wait for a wedding so we can wear our new dress or shoes. So when we pay attention to that plan that's waiting, to that burst of adrenaline, and it feels scary when your heart starts thumping and your insets tighten up and it feels like there's a volcano waiting to erupt. But if we can just allow that volcano to be and notice the same way it came, it's going to work its way through. 
and then it's going to be able to do what it needs to do. In the same way breath comes in, we fill up our chest rises and we feel like we're going to pop if we keep it in and then it goes and it makes space for more and for future and for the new and the next. If we could have that one anchor and from that space of security, from that space of grounded safety, be in the moment and let the body do what Hashem designed it to do. Let the computer do its processing, processing, and just being curious and compassionate and seeing. You know, the wash machine is noisy. The food processor is noisy. The self-cleaning oven is hot. That's how processing works. And notice all of those sensations and let it be. And be curious. And what is it? What do I notice now? And what's different now? And what new thought or new memory or old memory or new insight came up because I was able to be in this moment. And so I was able to move into the new moment as well. And we may surprise ourselves to see what happens. Because literally, a new something will happen. A new something will emerge. A new you will emerge. And I'm speaking fact. Talk, clock ticks on. New moment. New you. You have never been this person before. Meet yourself. And if you don't do this, so what you're saying is that the energy that got released in the body in order to act on what's ever going on now stays there and is constantly looking for its opportunity to act. Yeah. And so we're, we're creating conflicts if we at one point had energy released for a conflict or we are creating, uh, we, we are reenacting that experience and projecting it onto experiences where it's actually not necessarily present, whether that's anxiety, it's, it's anger, it's avoidance, it's dissociation, whatever that might be, where that energy that never got used up and we didn't allow the full self-cleaning yes. cycle to finish, it's just going to be looking for opportunities all the time. And the, and the solution you're saying is actually almost a non-solution. It's very paradoxical. It's just give it its opportunity to complete its process inside of you, just like a breath and then it'll be released or discharged. Absolutely. Absolutely. Really incredible. Thank you so much. I think this is this is a uh an, an episode that probably needs to be listened to multiple times. There's so much so many gems and so much wisdom in everything you just shared. Thank you so much for spending this time with me and for it sharing. It's been a pleasure and I'm always grateful to be able to take what I have learned from the most amazing teachers and mentors and to pay it forward. Thank you. You're welcome. All the best. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this, please follow us on WhatsApp, YouTube, or Instagram. All our podcast series can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. I'd love to hear from you, so please reach out with questions, comments, or suggestions, or to be added to our WhatsApp groups. You can reach us through email using yakov, Y-A-K-O-V, dot attached at gmail.com or on WhatsApp at 773-888-2413.